0: Coming to you from the front lines of America's fight for freedom, it's Matt and Brett Doster with America in View. What this world needs is a few more red so people ain't afraid to take a stand. What this world needs is a little more respect for the Lord and the law and the working man. And we can use a little peace and satisfaction, with people up front take the lead. A little less talking, a little more action And a few more rednecks is what we need.
1: Coming at you from the capital city of the free State of Florida today, unmasked and with pronouns that match our manhood. Got to provide you with some more perspective on this week's major news stories using Truth, the Constitution, and a little redneck common sense. Matt, there were a lot of major news stories broken this week. We've got Trump out uh, testifying, breaking the gag order, which was kind of interesting to watch. You've got to give the guy credit for just saying, nope, I'm going to talk anyway and paying the fines. Uh, certainly we've got a lot of debt ceiling talk, which I'm sure will take up one of our segments in the very near future. That's, of course, been complicated by the interest rates and the overspending in D.C., where they continue to put pressure on the economy with more inflation due to their overspending, what I would call reckless spending. And then, of course, we have Israel to talk about. We'll be talking about that today on the show with Tim Fitzpatrick, who's one of our military experts, uh, who was with us a couple weeks ago. And then, of course, we had a new Speaker of the House picked this week. So uh, what do you think about this guy, Matt? Matt, Mike Johnson, he seems like a good guy. What do you think?
2: It's, it's uh, very interesting, and I've uh, been probably like most of America— getting introduced to this guy. Uh, I had heard of him, but I did not know a whole lot about him. I'm suspecting the same is true for a lot of our listeners. Uh, so far, so good. I like what I see. There's there's a few things, a few question marks that I think we're all going to, you know, together, we're just going to see how he performs in a leadership capacity. Leading the uh, U.S. House is not like leading other organizations. A legislative body is always a little bit different. But uh, I like his – he's a strong conservative. He's a social conservative. He doesn't shy away from family issues and things that are affecting our world right now. Um, he is – does seem to be on the side of moving away from from some of the aid to Ukraine or at least um, detaching that from the Israel question, uh-huh. which I know is making making some people in certain wings of the party happy. Um, you know, I think the jury's out on what the right thing to do is on, on both of those issues and, and how exactly the U S is going to be involved. But, you know, so far so good. The one other thing that a lot of the, the, uh, mainstream and lefty media has been talking about is his role in the, uh, or his opinion on the election in 2020. Right. Uh, I, you know, I, th- that's a can of worms that we could talk about for an entire show. I think he's being, um, He's being denigrated by those forces unfairly, as they as they do to a lot of people on that particular issue. But you know, all in all, I think a, a pretty good development.
1: Yeah, I think what's always so interesting about the Democrats is that they have done a, a masterful job of challenging elections for the last like twenty five thirty years, constantly complaining every time they lost about how things worked unfairly or if they had just had this piece of information out at this time that. Republicans would not have won. So uh, it's just, you know, they're playing politics here, I think, with that issue specifically. The other thing I thought was interesting is that after the Republican caucus kind of had this surprise decision, I I don't think anyone really saw this thing coming, they began to dig up you 20, 25-year-old stories about this guy and what he had said about gay marriage or what he had said about abortion, almost like they were trying to derail him with the moderate side of the Republican wing
2: yeah kind of after the fact and let's not forget that we had another candidate uh emmer you know earlier in the week which trump went to war on him almost immediately and his candidacy seemed to tank almost immediately uh, he was withdrawn within a few hours but yeah i think you're right and i think johnson fits the profile of what we had kind of talked about somebody who's not anybody's favorite necessarily he seems like a like a um pretty calm pretty collected nice guy Somebody that uh, could could finally at least survive the vote within the House. I think the question is, will he be an effective leader? You know that that's we're going to watch that. There's a lot of things coming up: debt ceiling debates, everything going on in Israel, everything going on in Ukraine, the state of our economy. There there are a lot of things that are going to test uh, him. But I think for the sake of Republicans having control of the uh, of the U.S. House. We need to have a leader in there. So, you know, all in all, I think it's a good thing.
1: Yeah, I'll just make this one comment, and then I know we're really going to spend more of the show today talking about Israel, but I think that Mike Johnson offers a lesson for Republicans across the board, and here's what I think that lesson may be. Uh, stick to your guns. Uh, be a person of impeccable character where you have at least the trust of your colleagues because you're not always seeking personal advantage inside the process and serve the people that you went to represent, um, again, with impeccable character. That seems to be the word that was used to describe him again and again and again was character. So he is a conservative conservative from what I can see. Uh, he is a, um, passionate cultural conservative. He's a social conservative. He's a fiscal conservative. There's nothing about this guy that I think the conservative side of the, um, party doesn't like, but he's also a guy who's been willing to at least shake hands and treat the other side with some respect. And I think because of that he's in this unique position. Now there's going to be an inordinate amount of pressure on him, like there is always on a Speaker of the House, to reshape his brand, to maybe bend a little bit, to make him look like he's not so hard edged. But the reality is I think that we all need to be just be encouraging him to stick with what he had that got him where he is and and not worry about all this pressure and don't worry about compromise stick to your guns uh say what you believe do what you believe extend generosity to the other side with your comments but be who you say you're going to be and and be that shining light of integrity that people can at least have trust in
2: yeah it's a great point and you think about you know we're kind of in this trump era when everybody's scrambled and tried to remake themselves as far as their persona, how they approach politics. There's a lot of yelling and a lot of condemnation that goes along with politics these days. So it's like a, you know, almost a 180 from that where he's calm, he's relaxed, he seems to have the respect of a lot of people. He has coherent arguments for what he wants to do. It's not, you know, just pure instinct or um, embattlement. So I agree. I I think it's it's a great lesson and it was the kind of profile that I think the House was calling for right now. You had these um, factions that were like, seemed like they were 200 votes big, and then you'd have 20 or so that were, were not going to go along with uh, what the other 200 wanted in both directions. And so, yeah, you, you finally had this guy who could kind of unify that. And, um, you know, there was probably some fatigue factor there too where they just they wanted to wrap it up and let's, let's move on.
1: Well, I'm not a big a fan of how they got there. I thought it was a mistake, but uh, it came at the right time. The reality is is that we've got some pressing issues. We, again, we're going to be talking about the crisis in the Middle East today for the most part, uh, also about what I would call the Palestinian versus Israeli politics in the United States and what we've seen in the last week. So I want you guys to hang on tight as we get beyond the break because we're going to be back with Tim Fitzpatrick, who was with us a couple of weeks ago. And he is going to talk with us about the uh, military situation, uh, not only in the Middle East, and what it means for the broader American strength projection worldwide. And then Matt and I will finish this off with a fourth segment talking about what it means for politics in America today. Stay with us on America in View.
0: Bringing you right to the front line of liberal insanity.
2: Watch out for that first step.
0: It's in <laughs> And back again. America in View, got 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 some view. Some will be right I'm back. From the front lines of the fight against socialism, it's America in View.
2: Welcome back, America in View. We are talking everything going on in the world today, and there is a lot. There's a lot to get our arms around. Uh, we are going to revisit a topic that I think is going to be front of center, front of mind for a while, and that's everything going on in the Middle East. Um, Brett, we are graced and and blessed to have on the line with us today, again, Tim Fitzpatrick, uh, an expert on many of these issues. Tim, welcome to the show. Oh, Good afternoon. So happy to have you here. Uh, Tim, you were on with us a couple weeks ago, just to remind our listeners, uh, a retired Army officer, um, continued to serve. Uh, in in many different aspects of national security and foreign affairs, in a civilian uh, basis, you've served near Gaza. Uh, you have a lot of, of insight. And what we want to get into just right away is the developments that are increasingly seeming to involve the United States. Uh, so we had some some missiles shot down in the Red Sea a, a little while, a few days ago, a week or so ago. Then we've also now had uh, rockets being launched from Yemen. Saudi Arabia has gotten involved. And and we have increasing conflict between U.S. forces and things that are going on in Syria. Um, some attacks uh, being launched in both directions. And we have casualties. Uh, I think it's um, been hard to get our arms around exactly what's going on, but the U.S. Is, is definitely getting more and more entangled in everything that's going on. Can you just diagnose for us, who's on whose side, what's uh, what's the implication to U.S. forces, and do we continue to play a supporting role here, or is, is uh, the risk of us getting more involved greater and greater?
3: Well, I think you're seeing us getting more involved. I think if you look at what was the end state in mind when Iran, working with their allies in Hamas and the other groups within the area, kept the Abraham Accords and peace between Israel and Saudi Arabia and others, uh, are they reaching that objective at all? Um, I think with the presence of the uh, aircraft carriers in the eastern Mediterranean and in the Gulf and then the other activities, uh, I may call into question Iran's uh, long-term strategy. It still may work, but right now, I don't think all of that force And then the response uh, the other day to the uh, surrogate, I'm not sure they're meeting their objective because there's a greater presence right now. And the U.S. uh, did demonstrate some resolve by hitting those uh, surrogates in uh, northern Syria.
1: Yeah, so Tim, I, I want to follow up with you on, on that related to the targets in Syria. So, uh, and this is kind of in line with what Matt just said. It was interesting to me that Saudi Arabia made the choice to shoot down the rockets uh, coming out of Yemen. And then, uh, I guess last night, the United States led a an airstrike on Syrian targets. Uh, is it true, I mean, can you confirm that there were actually Iranian targets in Syria that the uh, U.S. warplanes were hitting?
3: I have no idea. Iranian, per se. I'm assuming they were part of the um, different uh, groups supported by the uh, Syrian government and therefore supported by Iran. I doubt if there's uh, Iranian, per se, unless there's some elements of the uh, Islamic uh, uh, Republican Guards Corps, and that's highly likely, representatives of them in, in Syria.
1: So, and again, just kind of following up on that, and it goes back to Matt's original question at the top of the segment here uh so the United States is firing missiles into Syria uh There are various elements yes, okay yeah, but there there are other countries like Russia right that do have troops in Syria as well, and I think going back to Matt's original question, does this you know put us i guess in in a uh very risky position of drawing some of the superpowers into play? on this battlefield?
3: Well, yes. I think Russia would look at this as a good distraction from what's going on in Ukraine. And I think we discussed a couple of weeks ago how this diverts ammunition and other things that could be applied in Ukraine. So they would have an interest in tying us down uh, more than we are in in the Middle East. Uh, And I think Iran certainly does because they want to break up The peace movement between Israel and Saudi Arabia and other Arab countries, and the follow-on to the Abraham Accords. So, I think their interest is uh, is to use this to split our attention, to get us involved, uh, and to uh, divert attention from what's going on in uh, in Ukraine. You know, Moscow hosted Iranian and Hamas representatives in the past week in Moscow. So. Clearly, uh, they can't paint a picture that they're not involved in this. And at the same time, Putin's trying to play peace broker by offering Israel and the Palestinians uh, a mode of uh, negotiation. So he's playing both sides against the middle.
2: Tim, speaking of ne- negotiation, can you comment on um, the the uh, supposedly imminent ground war in Gaza? Mm-hmm. We've been hearing that uh, Israel is preparing, that they're ready to go. There seems to be um, delays, either because the United States and other forces are trying to negotiate hostages out. Uh, There is some suggestion also that the Israeli government is not fully unified on what should happen. What what do you think is going on there?
3: There's been several articles, uh, I think, in uh, Israeli media lately about the reluctance of the Israeli government and the armed forces to conduct ground maneuver because of the cost of that to uh, their own people and their reliance on intelligence and uh, aerial weapons, missile bombs, things like that. At the same time, you have a uh, ground commander in the south, around Gaza, talking about this operation is imminent. And, of course, I think it was yesterday that the uh, fairly large incursion into uh, southern Gaza occurred and also a strike against... Uh, some coastal assets uh, that the Hamas had on the coast of Gaza. So uh, this is not, in my view, a timed event. I think, and I said this a couple of weeks ago, I think Israelis are going to take their time and only do that level of ground maneuver um, that they think is is necessary. And I think they do have their eye to the north and uh, against anything that might occur from Hezbollah out of Lebanon, and, uh, of course, out of Syria, and then uh, the West Bank. So they're, they're looking in three directions. Uh, you don't see a lot of activity in the last couple of days on the Lebanese front. Uh, so I don't know if that will allow uh, the Israeli government, the Israeli army, to think about timing for incursion into Gaza itself. Clearly, they're preparing the way with all the strikes.
2: And does the time issue, Does that, uh, is Hamas able to somehow shore up their defenses, or is it the kind of thing where the, the rocket attacks and other things are just demolishing what they can do in a, to defend against a ground attack?
3: I think uh, they have probably well-prepared the ground over the last number of years since the last ground in, incursion by, by Israel. So I think they're probably well-prepared now. Uh, their command and control is getting attacked. Individuals are getting attacked. But if you've seen the incursions that Israel has had to do in 2002, 2006, 15, 16, 17, uh, you can see that uh, Tim, they are prepared for these incursions.
2: Tim, let me, let me cut you off right there. We're going to go to break, and we will be right back. We're going to get right back into that. Very interesting analysis with Tim Fitzpatrick on the conflict in the Middle East.
0: Don't go anywhere. America in View will be right back. I do my rocking on the stage. Freeing the wolf from their liberal chains, it's Matt and Brett Doster with America in View. We're back here with the
1: third segment with Tim Fitzpatrick. Tim is a military expert, retired, served time in the Gaza Strip. Tim, uh, thank you so much for joining us again today. And it just seems to be so much information flowing out of the uh, Middle Eastern conflict right now. I've got one to lead off this third segment that hopefully you can shed a little light on. We've seen the news reports in the last 48, 72 hours that uh, the United States has been applying a little pressure to Israel to delay their ground invasion because Hamas is trying to negotiate with America to say, hey, look, we've got a few more hostages we're going to release, just delay the ground invasion, we're going to work this out. And I just wonder, from your perspective, if that's, if, if we number one, if we can really believe Hamas. Number two, I, I feel horrible for these hostages, and I feel horrible for their families. But right now, it seems that every time we give an extra day or two for Hamas to get their defenses set, that's another bad day for Israel's ground game. I'm interested in your thoughts on this.
3: Well, I would agree with you that uh, the delay may cause unnecessary casualties on the part of the Israelis. Uh, there's also a trend where Iran, particularly and the other groups in the Middle East, have successfully used hostages to bait and stop U.S. activities and our allies' activities. So if you're going to continue to pay off Uh, for hostages you're going to continue to get more hostages and that goes back to uh, the middle ages and uh, the crusade and the holding of hostages uh, as a tradition in the middle east in order to provoke negotiation or get money Uh, the more you do that the more you cave in the more you're going to have of that so i think the israelis have to weigh the uh, military issues the political issues the human life issues, of course, with the probability of success of an invasion and the probability of any hostages actually being released or being alive. I don't know if there's a proof of life for these hostages other than a few Americans that uh, were released. So I think uh, they have to do their best to do both. Eliminate the threat and the constant continuing mortar and rocket attacks from Gaza into Israel which has not been abated against, uh, is there a probability of getting a few hostages back?
2: Tim, you, you make a great point about the ongoing attack. In the mainstream media, there's a lot of attention being paid to the humanitarian crisis in Gaza, and surely it is a crisis without, without probably any easy answers um, but these these attacks are continuing to go on. It's not as though there's a rogue terrorist organization that did an attack and now there's there's just a, a you know a nation of helpless people. This is an ongoing conflict and uh, what we've seen, what I've been interested in is the role of social media on both sides, uh, both as an as a tool of terrorism and then also as a tool of trying to to spread the truth about what's going on. I think the uh, Israel Defense Force has done a good job of putting out some content that, that lets people know what is really going on. What are your thoughts on that? And, and even in Ukraine, we've seen a lot from social media as far as making the case for, for, uh, for defense and for conflict on both sides.
3: I regret that the Israelis didn't show the whole world that video that they showed to the media. They did that out of respect for the dead. However, uh, I don't think Hamas uh, is countered enough by that. You have a, a pretty good media presence by Iran. Uh, In fact, in Beirut, was it yesterday that Hamas, uh, Lebanon, Hezbollah, had a presser in Beirut about their strategy and about please relieve uh, the pressure on people in Gaza. Mm -hmm. They're certainly very adept at using the media. Uh, But interesting backlash in the United States against uh, a lot of the uh, pro-Hamas Demonstrate. I'm not going to say pro Palestinian because they're not, but pro Hamas uh, demonstrations, and that people are horrified by this. And you see almost the same reaction that parents had to school boards in Virginia, to universities sponsoring this sort of thing, and some horrible language with completely without analysis by the media. For instance, the chant Free Palestine from the river to the sea. Well, that means destroy all the Israelis and kill all the Israelis from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean. Right. And no one's questioning that slogan. Yeah. So I think you're seeing a tremendous backlash against those demonstrators in the United States. Uh, people are pretty shocked by what they're saying.
1: Tim, I want to ask you this. Let's, let's talk grand strategy here for a moment. <clears throat> It feels, it feels as though the United States is, is once again falling into the trap of not being able to define their own objective. I think that this administration has already shown some weakness on this uh, in the first two years that they've been in office. Um, I think this may be no exception. And uh, on the one hand, I think that people have defined getting the hostages out as being the military objective, I think Israel defines the objective as clearing Hamas from Gaza and maybe occupying. But still, we are dealing with not just Hamas, not just Hezbollah, but their overlords, which appear to be Iran. And my question is, and again, this is a little bit, uh, I'm using some conjecture here, but if we really wanted to bring this conflict to an end, you know, is there... Is there cause or is there reason for the United States to simply dial up the phone with Tehran and say, look, there's going to be regime change if you don't bring this to an end immediately? And the way that regime change is going to work is we're going to you know, bomb Tehran into uh, oblivion. And then you can have a new administration come to power. We're not going to occupy. We're not going to invade. We're not going to do anything else. But if they won't bring it to a close, that's going to cause an interruption. But then if a new administration comes to power and you do it again, we're going to bomb that administration into kingdom come. And my question is, again, I, I, I understand what the implications are for that. And I understand that, that um, it could lead to wider conflict. But I feel that we're in a position where, number one, we're not negotiating with the right people. And number two, there does seem to be an entity that could bring this to an end on their side that we are not engaging with with those kinds of aggressive tactics.
3: I think one of the biggest failures we had during uh, the Obama administration and several others was the failure to support uh, internal dissent within Iran and support those groups. I think any change in Iran is going to have to come from internal groups and bringing down the government uh, because the government is against the people inside of Iran. I think the only thing that bombing would do to uh, on is to unite people against the United States and reinforce their message. So I think supporting those groups fully and uh, getting them to change their own government is a thing we fail to do, and we need to do this. Part of that is, uh, you know, the Kurds are in Iran as well as in Iraq and northern uh, Syria. The problem we have there is that The Turks don't particularly want them busy with the Iranians either or anybody else. But I think there's enough resistance groups inside of Iran to make it uh, very uncomfortable for the government that currently exists in Tehran and lead to a change in that government over time.
2: Tim, can you comment on just the general alignment of powers? Uh, I was struck. I'm listening to a book by John Bolton that he wrote back in 2007, and he was recounting some of his experience working in the U.S. State Department and the U.N. back in the late 80s, early 90s. And, you know, the, the objectives were the same. He's talking about the PLO had changed their name to Palestine and we're we're trying to achieve uh, more standing within the U.N. system. Um, the, the people on the side of that were the same sort of communist or uh, dictatorial-type governments, China, Russia. You had a lot of the same issues when um, George H.W. Bush – wanted to defend Kuwait as far as the different different people that were being defended there there seems to be for lack of a better way to put it almost like guilt by association you see the the communist powers or the former communist powers you see Yemen you see Iran what is the what is binding these people together uh, you know what is the sort of animated reason that they all see themselves on the same side well
3: that's a good question there's been a Uh, affiliation between the former Soviet Union and now Moscow again through their support to things like the Palestinian Liberation Organization. Any of the uh, uh, Islamic nationalist movements were uh, supported and propelled and and brought together out of Moscow's uh, Patrice Lumumba University and other programs that they had in order to use them as a um, a divisive tool against the west and to control oil and other things in the middle east certainly that's the same issue now with china wanting iranian oil and other resources and they've just hosted a um, a belt and road conference with putin and a lot of the other countries in this area to tout what china is doing to um, bring modernization to these countries in order to get their resources quite frankly. Russia is also after it for a way to have access to warm water ports and resources. And, of course, Iran is at it to become the regional power. Um, we have uh, participated as part of the West and NATO, but to counter Russian aggression in uh, the East and Africa, and even saying that, a lot of the establishment in the United States never wanted to really get involved, even in the...
1: 73 war, but felt they had to. Tim, so, Tim, we're we're coming up on a break here. Uh, we got about 20 seconds. I, I tell you what, I'd like to do, if you don't mind, I want to hold you in for to complete that answer and answer one question, and then we'll let you okay. go in the fourth segment of the break. You guys hang with us. We're going to the fort to break, and then we'll be back for the fourth segment of today's version of America in View
0: on the front lines fighting the insanity of the woke. America in View will be right back. And are cut you down. On the front lines, fighting the insanity of the war, it's, it's Matt and Brett Doster with America in View. All right, we're back for the fourth segment
1: of today's version of American View with Tim Fitzpatrick. Tim, you were finishing off a comment there, and I, I, we got about two to three minutes here for you to finish up uh, before we close okay. out the show. But I want you to finish that conversation. Then I want to kind of set you up to answer this question. Uh, on what I would call more of a macro-strategic question. The news has been reporting that between Ukraine and this Israel crisis, that we are now having an ammunition shortage in the yeah. Western world. Number two, our enemies, China, Russia, Iran, they see the, let's let's just call it the dissension politically in the United States. They see the conflict with the Speaker of the House. They see the conflict in our colleges universities. And then number three, they see all this madness with the woke military, the social engineering we have going on in the military. And I just wonder, do we need to take some strong action here to just show that we're in business and we're serious? Because it seems right now that our enemies do not take us seriously.
3: I I would agree with that. I think one of the things that Ronald Reagan brought to the international scene was public diplomacy. He was very adamant about dragging everything out into the public light, using UN, using every means he could to force other countries out in, into the light to do their arguments. I don't see that same diplomatic press going on. I don't see. Although you did have President Biden's visit to the Middle East, that was kind of a disaster. Uh, Secretary Blinken is gone. Secretary Austin, uh, both of them did a little bit better. But there's been no constant public diplomacy push by the President of the United States and the United Administration. Because you see, there was a Senate bipartisan visit, which was very unique. That was very successful. But that seems to be somewhat in conflict with messaging out of President Biden. We've seen somewhat in conflict with messaging out of his own spokesman and with uh, people like John Kirby. Yes. So they see a lot of... Uh, cognitive dissonance going on within, uh, within our administration. So I do think they see that distinction. I think this, the settlement of the Speaker of the House is a good thing. As far as the, uh, the military goes, we're in serious condition right now where you have talk in Department of Defense of reducing things like special operations forces and other forces uh, at the same time all of this is going on when those forces are being stressed. So that's another, uh, say one thing and do another. Uh, So I think they are exploiting that dissension. I think they thought they would be more successful uh, at it, but I think the actions of sending forces forward, some of the things we're doing in Syria, might mitigate some of that. If we can get our messaging straight between the White House and the other agencies and do public diplomacy with our allies, he certainly would want to see that Saudi Arabia's would certainly want to see that and so would our other allies in the in the region and in nato
1: man tim thank
3: you
1: yeah 100 percent. thank you so much again for joining the show with us today tim we actually made the comment a couple of weeks ago that we thought we would have you back now my good friend mike hannah who's listening today always laughs and says that we say that about everybody but in your case we actually had you back i want to make that point to mike So uh, thank you for joining us. I think your perspective is invaluable, and I don't think this conflict is going away anytime in the next couple weeks. So who knows? We may have you back on a third time here in a few weeks. So thank you very much for joining us.
3: Hopefully we're not at the same stalemate.
1: Yes.
2: Agreed. Agreed. Thank you, Tim.
3: Okay. Have a good day.
1: You too.
2: So, Brett, I know you wanted to talk about the politics of everything. One of the things that happened uh, this week was uh, the chancellor of the Florida University System sent a letter to all the university presidents because there were uh, two student organizations which are chapters for National Students for Justice in Palestine, and a lot was made of the fact that they were deactivated on Florida campuses. Now, the as normally happens, the mainstream media doesn't really dig into the whole issue it's been portrayed as an issue where playing favorites when it comes to free speech. Um, But in, in reality, the content of the letter, which we posted to our Facebook page uh, it says that um, the organization in question has actually been aiding a terrorist organization, which Hamas is officially designated a terrorist organization. And if you look at the rhetoric that they put out in their toolkit, it's just awful stuff. I mean, one of the things that we, we posted, which I'll, um, one, one of the tenants that was part of their toolkit, um, settlers are not, they're talking about Israeli settlers are not civilians and responsibility for every single death falls solely on the Zionist entity. I mean, this is, this is nasty stuff. So the thing that was not reported is that, um, Florida is, is, uh, fast tracking these organizations to be reactivated as just student groups that could, speak out on their opinions, Mm -hmm. but just not as a part of this organization. And so I think from a legal standpoint, they were in good standing to do so. Talk. What are your thoughts on this whole just debacle going on on our university and college campuses right now? We have full-throated support for terrorism, basically, for Hamas. With not a lot of scrutiny from the mainstream media, what's going on in America?
1: Well, during the during the break, Matt, you were the one that was bringing up the uh, White House spokesman's sort of reluctance to criticize uh, these pro Palestinian. Well, and let's just not call them pro Palestinian. This isn't like pro Palestinian statehood groups. These are like radical death to all Israeli groups.
2: Yeah, and they're they're supporting. They're not supporting a two state solution. They're not supporting. Palestinians, they're supporting the actual conflict that's going on. Yeah. They're supporting the brutality, the terrorism, the unprovoked attack.
1: Yeah, I don't think there's any making peace with this. And I think that a lot of, frankly, I think a lot of these international students that are here studying in America's universities, their visas need to be reevaluated because we can't be inviting people to come into the United States to uh, ostensibly, as part of what I would call a, a friendly relationship with their parent countries, and have them out protesting, taking advantage... Of our free speech laws, which, by the way, are guaranteed for American citizens. And some of these people may be American citizens, but there are a lot of international students that are in the United States right now out front uh, calling for the death of all Israelis and and trying to uh, really take a radical position against even the United States.
2: What does this mean for political races in 2024? What are your thoughts there?
1: I think it puts some districts that Possibly were out of reach before in reach. Uh, there, there are places where there are a majority uh, Jewish populations. There's districts around the United States. We have a couple here in Florida. And I think the Jewish Democrats are going to begin to reevaluate their partisan labels. Uh, many of them have been uh, strong allies for FDR's policy uh, party because of obviously what happened in World War II. And uh, that, that, Commitment to the Democratic Party has been hard to break over the years. But what they're seeing now is a party that has been infiltrated and co-opted by radical anti-Israeli, anti-Israel group of voices that are not just committed to their political defeat, but is committed to their death and destruction.
2: Yeah, and the exchange with um, Karine Jean-Pierre, Uh, She looked just lost when she was asked the question about, are we worried about rise in anti-Semitism? I mean,
1: similar to her boss.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, she's looking at her notes. She's trying to figure out what to say. And again, we're in this world where the, this paradigm of oppressor versus oppressed, all the left knows how to do is take the side of the perceived oppressed group without any kind of scrutiny of facts, any analysis of who's actually behaving correctly. uh, Freedom, you know, all these kind of considerations, they just go out the window.
1: It's the danger of the woke indoctrination in our schools. Uh, they have been doing it in our higher ed institutions, and now they've moved beyond that to K through 12, and it has to be stopped. I'm glad we're stopping it here in Florida, but we've got to stop it nationwide.
2: Yeah, we're doing great work in Florida, and we need to keep doing great work in Florida. The fight is a cultural one, and it's not going to end anytime soon. We love hearing from our listeners. Please Find us at americainview.com. Check us out on social media. We are looking forward to continuing these conversations uh, next week. Thank you to our listeners.
0: Thanks for listening to America in View. For more information, go to americainview.com. Making their way the only way they know how. That's just a little bit more than the whole life.